Hey everyone, I hope that you are staying safe in the midst of pandemic world. I wanted to let you know that tonight we will be doing another live show on Twitter, a curbside quiz show with Hannah R. Abrams as host and me facing off against Chris, the Chew Man Chew in a Curbsiders trivia. We hope that you'll join us tonight at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time on Twitter and Periscope. So we'll see you there. The Curbsiders Podcast is for entertainment, education, and information purposes only, and the topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or conditions. Furthermore, the views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and should not be interpreted to reflect official policy or position of any entity, aside from possibly cash like moral hospital and affiliate outreach programs, if indeed there are any. In fact, there are none. Pretty much, we are responsible if you screw up. You should always do your own homework and let us know when we're wrong. Let's just do a, I don't think we need to do the silence, uh, but let's just do a uh, one, two, three, and then clap. So, all right. So we'll use that to sync this. Masterfully timed as ever. (laughs) (laughs) Paul, we're back. We just clapped to uh, sync up here. We're ready, ready to to do the show tonight. Paul, I'm going to, I'm going to take that again. So Paul, we're back. We are ready to do the show tonight. This is the Curbsiders. Tonight we're going to be, it's a little bit meta, we're going to be talking about how to create a medical podcast, or as Paul pointed out to me, it's really any podcast, there's not much specific to medicine here. So Paul, before we tell them a little bit more about the show, can you tell them what we normally do on this show? Yeah, so normally we we are the internal medicine podcast, we bring you expert interviews um, to bring you clinical pearls and practice changing knowledge, but it turns out that tonight we're calling ourselves the experts, which never feels quite right. But like as as you alluded to, there's we're now at sort of a weird time in history where there's going to be a whole lot of thirst for creating content that can be sort of um, parsed out asynchronously, and so we're hoping to contribute to that and make things a little bit easier for you guys. But Matt, you'll you'll talk us more through it. Yeah, that's right, Paul. This is uh, the other thing unusual about tonight is we're we're going to try this as a video as well, so you'll be able to actually see us uh, as we're recording, and and we'll see how that goes. But the uh, this podcast is you know we're in the middle of a pandemic here. Medical schools have pretty much sent their students home, and we are trying to. Uh, I know a lot of people are trying to move to online curriculums and, and less groups of people huddled together in a room getting coronavirus. <laughs> so here we go. So, the kind of the goal here is to give you uh, develop a framework uh, for how you can approach podcasting from like the conceptual, like of the actual ideas of what your podcast is going to be, all the way up through the equipment and a little bit on the editing of of the podcast. So Paul, let's let's get into it. Let's let's start it off here. So we have this document that you should be able to see in our screen share if the technology works. It says how to create a medical podcast tales from the curbside. That's the title of this episode. And some of the random pearls, uh, maybe maybe Paul, I'll read the first few and you can read the second few, but we have some random pearls that we, we really want to make sure we don't forget to say them. So the first one is, I cannot stress this enough, clear audio is key. I have, even within the past week, turned off podcasts because their audio was not clear, there was horrible background noise or echo, and one of the ways to do that, uh, it took us a long time to figure this out, but we just, we sort of demand or recommend, strongly recommend that all our guests uh, at least purchase a USB headset with microphone. It's very easy to set up. It provides at least a certain level of sound quality, and uh, usually there's not a lot of echo. So that that right there will will set your podcast apart if you ensure that you're getting good audio and 
there's only so much you can do in post-production to fix things. Um, I feel like once you hear someone record with the the iPhone earbuds and you know what that sounds like, then you you can't unhear it ever again. So any other <laughs> podcast or any recording you hear or someone's recorded like that, you just you recognize it right away. And it just it makes a real difference to actually have just the bare minimum decent, not in a, not terribly expensive equipment. I'm sure there's some wireless head headset and mics that that work, but we have not yet found it. So we do not recommend uh, a wireless or Bluetooth headset or mic for for podcast recording. So get something with a wire, at least for the time being. Uh, we do recommend that before you ever put out an episode that people are going to to hear or see, that you probably just do a couple practice runs and only show them to friends and family, if that, and then throw them away. They probably won't be very good <laughs> if our experience is anything. And uh, another thing is that all the stuff that's in this document that we're, we're talking through and that we've learned, it was was available online. There's great resources on YouTube. There's blog posts. And you can really piece this all together yourself. We've tried to do a lot of the heavy lifting there. But there you can pretty much teach yourself a, a lot of this stuff. And a lot of it's just trial and error. Other advice that we typically hand out to listeners, and one that makes me laugh especially, is just limiting yourself to one standard drink, whether it's your beer or a glass of wine before recording. If you have two, you might get a little bit too loose. And if you have three, it's just a recipe for disaster. So a fun assignment for you as a longtime Curbsiders fan would be go back and listen to older episodes and see if you can find the ones where we learned that lesson, because um, <laughs> you could probably pick it out. Um, we we do recommend making professional show notes that have your learning objectives, your summaries of key points, um, include conflicts of interest, which is a, is a quality measure, I think, of really good podcasts, especially for medical podcasts, visual aids, links from the show. These things are all useful. I would add to that, and I'm not sure how you feel about this, Matt. You know, you guys are looking at an example of something that looks a lot like the script that we use. So preparation is also key, too. So you can't just sort of turn on the, the microphone and sort of roll out. So actually have an idea of what you're going to say before you say it, and that will save you tons of time in the back end. Right. Yeah, for like an actual learning podcast, I, I don't think it works to just turn on the mics for three hours and talk. I, I think Ooh. maybe Joe Rogan does something like that, <laughs> or at least he wants you to think that. But I sure. I don't think it works for a medical podcast where people are hoping to gain some sort of concrete take home takeaway from it. And, and so then, we do our ayahuasca episode. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one is... Uh, don't forget to press record. That is, that's happened to me multiple times, but usually I've been recording in multiple different ways. So uh, you, I have a recorder where I actually have to press record and then there's a button within the software. And so I'm recording both a hardware and software copy of all our shows. And then depending on what software you use, you and your co-host can each record everybody. That way you have a lot of redundancy and you don't lose like an hour's worth of material. So let's let's move on to to the first part of this, which is really if you are going to make a podcast, I think one of the first things you need to do is figure out what is that going to be, who is it for, is it an internal podcast or is it something like ours where you're going to be putting it out to uh, an international, uh, at least national or international audience, and you you want to just kind of figure out like who is this for, what what is my ideal listener. For in the case of the curbsiders, we were our own ideal listeners, which made it easy to figure out what kind of shows we should be making. Paul, do you, what do you think is important to highlight here? I know you've helped a couple people start start their own shows. No, I I, I think you covered the the important points. Again, it's not going back and just clicking the record button because you're a wonderful person with things to say. We assume that's the case, but I think really clearly defining what it is you're trying to communicate, who you're trying to communicate it to, and then what the actual purpose of the show is. I think it's even helpful 
and again, I'll, I'll leave it to you to correct me if I'm wrong, but to even sort of craft a mission statement, like what are you specifically trying to accomplish when you put this out into the world? And I think that will sort of help shape um, the show and make your early experiments move a little bit more quickly. Yeah, it. I, th- I think that's absolutely true. And it, it does... It, it does kind of go back to the like it's like making learning objectives when you're creating a talk yeah. it's and you and you make sure like did i hit my learning objectives in the talk uh, you you plan those ahead of time otherwise you might get lucky but probably pro- probably you won't <laughs> probably not yeah so our mission statement is supercharge your learning and enhance your practice with this internal medicine podcast featuring board certified internists as they interview the experts to bring you clinical pearls practice changing knowledge and bad puns. And I think we've we've delivered on that, Paul. I, I hope to say that anyway. A hundred percent. The puns have been especially bad. So if nothing else, <laughs> we've managed to accomplish that. But it is, you know, like we uh, we did not bury the lead there. Like you it, it comes out right away and says what it's supposed to be, whether or not you agree with that, but that is it that is pretty much what our, our mission statement is. The and depending on I think we can kind of skip over the logo stuff. If you are going to be putting something out on iTunes and into the public, you should be making a logo and and kind of thinking about the show aesthetic. And there is a great free website that we use. And this is also great for just making infographics and figures. It's called Canva.com. We don't get paid anything for saying that, but if they would like to advertise on the show, we would love it. <laughs> uh, but we make we use it to make infographics and cover art. And it's it's free uh, for most the most of the basic features, and really intuitive. Even even I land to use it. Yeah. Next up, uh, talking some logistics. Thinking about how much time you have and how much time it's going to take you to make the podcast. Now, our podcast is sixty to ninety minutes per episode. Uh, something that we're we're trying to keep them under sixty minutes because uh, you know every fifteen minutes takes at least like four times that long in post production. I would say, it, so uh, having an, a weekly podcast that's an hour long is is a pretty heavy lift. It, it's a lot of people putting this together, a lot of time editing. The show notes are much longer when you have sixty minutes worth of content, lots of things to track down. So you got to really think about: Do you have time to do this? In our case. We, uh, I mean, we sort of have built this into our schedules over the past four and a half years. And then we also enlisted this team of volunteers who are amazing and they kind of work, uh, they kind of work when they have time. So each person will be involved with three or four shows a year and we have 20-ish people. So it sort of just works out where people are always working on projects and we have a show every week. The... um, other things that you can see, well, oh, and, and if you're watching on the video, you can see the, uh, this is this picture just cracks me up, Paul. This is the Green Bay Packers coach, coaching staff. I want to say it's the 1990s, and this this picture was like the Green Bay Packers staff, and they used to show it on ESPN, and like this, at the time, a, a lot there was one head coach and a bunch of assistant coaches, and a bunch of those assistant coaches eventually went off to become head coaches themselves. And uh, that's not the funny part of this. The funny part is that it's all it's a, the whole Curbsiders team photoshopped poorly onto this. And we're all wearing khakis and polo shirts and white shoes, which just looks great. So uh, that's our team. And we do so, have. Oh, yeah. Go I, on, Paul. I do want to jump in just to torture the metaphor a little bit further is, I, you know, I think the other thing is you need a, a coach, a head coach of some time for projects like this, too. So I think to have one person who has not ultimate ownership, but at least a leader who's kind of driving things forward, who can kind of um, make sure the rest of the team is working appropriately is a really helpful thing to have. Because I think if you have 
just sort of general diffuse shared accountability, I don't think you're going to be able to move as consistently forward as you can if you have one person who's sort of consistently driving things. So if you can agree upon someone to do that, um, I, I would recommend that if you can. That is true. You you need somebody that is going to be essentially your showrunner. And when you hear right. you hear people talking about like TV shows, the, the showrunner for the TV show is the person who's keeping tracks of episodes and storylines and sort of guy steering steering the ship up from a high level and that is definitely something that that you need to have someone that has the consistently has the time to do that it's harder i think it's harder to to do it the other way where people are just coming in and out and and no one's really uh a consistent presence i think we could probably skip over the the frequency yeah. i can just say that for us the time that we found that that works to record is on weeknights. Uh, we try to keep weekends sacred. Uh, right now we're in a pandemic. So like every day feels the same when you're, when you're stuck at home, <laughs> uh, at least for me right now. But the, we, we try to do Monday through Thursday after 8 PM Eastern time, because at that time kids are in bed. Most notes are done ish for the day. And Oof. you know, people are, people are home. So we, we record, uh, we record on weeknights that that's what works for us, but maybe, Depending on what kind of podcast you're doing, you might find another time t- to record. And depending, if you're going to put out a podcast weekly, you got to record at least once a week on average and so forth. We can probably just briefly touch on this, Paul, the business, finance, and legal stuff. Did you have any, like... No, I, I think the broad message, and you and I'll, I'll defer to your expertise as per usual, but I, I think that the big thing to consider is as you're creating this, and if you're creating it with a team, is to think about intellectual property and who's going to have ownership of the idea behind it, and how are you going to make sure that's actually the case? And make sure you discuss that and are explicit about it ahead of time. And if you're filled away with an institution, it'd be helpful to actually talk this over your institution as to who's going to own this finished product now and then in perpetuity too. So I, you know, the other business stuff, I think, you know, depending on how big it gets, will all be useful. But I think just broadly, so feelings don't get hurt or you don't get in trouble, just talking about who owns the intellectual content that you're putting out into the world. And this mainly comes in play when you leave your institution, because if you created something while you were there and then you want to leave and bring it with you elsewhere, that that you will run into issues there. And there are horror stories out there. I don't want to get into specifics, but that's why it's worth finding out what the intellectual property policies are at your institution. And then you'll probably need to re, uh, retain counsel, if that's the the right way to say it. And uh, try to have something put into your contract so that you can do that and make sure that you keep ownership of it. Now, moving on to the equipment. So let's just say at this point, we've decided we want to make a podcast. Let's say it's going to replace our morning report. And that's that's and it's for the medical residents at our internal medicine program. It's going to be done by the chief residents and the residents are going to take turns appearing on the podcast with a maybe a subspecialist. And now we we have to decide what we're gonna what we're gonna use to record. The first thing to start off with is is the microphones. So you you could use the USB headsets that I talked about, uh, but I think if you're going to be consistently hosting a podcast, the the entry level microphone that we recommend is the, is an Audio Technica microphone, and it is the AT AT two hundred five USB cardioid mic or the ATR twenty one hundred. USB cardioid mic. And the reason I like this mic is because it has two different types of connectors on it. Uh, so you can either, you can kind of plug in a traditional microphone cord to it, but you can also just plug in a, a USB cord and plug it directly into your laptop and start recording. And it has really good sound, um, pretty much pretty similar to like the $100 
uh, sure stage microphone that you probably always see people holding in at like rock concerts. <laughs> yeah. At, at rock and roll shows, you know, like the kids like, sure. The kids, the kids like rock and roll. <laughs> rock and roll is, that's hip, right, Paul? <laughs> it's here to stay, as someone famously said. Yeah. So the the XLR is a type, that's that's a microphone cable. It's this kind of fat round cable. It has a male and female end that plugs into the microphone and then usually pl- plugs into some sort of uh, recording device. Um, if you want to use that type of microphone with a laptop, then you're going to need some sort of interface that that you plug from the microphone into the interface, and then the interface will connect with USB to the laptop. So it's a little bit of an extra step, and that's why I don't recommend it for people that are are just starting off. Like in in theory, you could just start off with just a laptop and a USB microphone, and talk to your friend with a laptop and a USB microphone uh, when they're at their house, and and you could record a podcast that way. So you don't have to get all this equipment. If if they plan to do in person recordings, like let's say um, a couple people are going to get together and record something at least six feet apart in the uh, at least six feet apart in the uh, modern modern era you can get this zoom h4 recorder which allows you to plug in two of the two microphones via this xlr cable i was just talking about and two people can talk to each other there it's nice it lets you see how loud the sound is for each person and you can adjust their levels it's and and it records them each on separate tracks, which makes it very easy to edit in the end. And this runs you about uh, two hundred dollars. Or there's a version where you can connect four microphones at a time, which is what we use, and that one runs you about three hundred thirty dollars. But definitely, that I would recommend that option if you're going to be doing any in-person recording. And I actually use it even recording right now. Um, I use it to record a backup of this conversation that Paul and I are having. Um, Paul, do you, do you have any, I know you use one of the audio, like the, you have, a, you have an XLR mic, one of the Shure stage, stage mics, and you use an audio box. If you could go back and do it again, do you think you would start off with just the plain old USB? I think probably so. I think I was trying to be fancier than what I actually am. And I think the USB will get you where you need to go without having to fuss around with an audio box. So I think I was yeah. trying, I think I overshot. <laughs> <laughs> That's Okay. What what kind of mic stand do, do you like, Paul? There, there's the there's a couple different types of mic stands. I, I think it's it is important to get a mic stand uh, because it, for sound quality for sure. Yeah, I agree, and I, I I'm I'm assuming there's going to be some version of show notes that'll go out that have some of these things linked in here. I like the boom mic stand. I just think it's a little bit more flexible, and you're not wrestling with as many parts, um, which is basically just sort of a. A stick. It's basically here for those of you watching the video. I'm moving the mic up and down, probably making terrible noise too. Yeah, and I'm circling it in the video there. Yeah. The it's if, this. It stands on the floor. Right. If you're a, a former band nerd like myself, and you remember what music stands look like, it's like that. Except then there's a stick with a microphone on the end of it, rather than the thing that holds the sheet music. If that helps you at all. And then I guess the other option is a an adjustable microphone suspension boom, which is has an armature that probably allows for a little bit more flexibility, but adjust by like a C clamp to whatever sort of flat surface that you're using. Yeah. And one of the things that one of the caveats with that is it it uh, it can make if you bump into it it can make like a gong noise which we've experienced <laughs> right, uh, many times heard. compliments of Stuart Brigham so we uh, yeah just just be aware of that so all right now this is gonna now this is gonna I I drew this thing on the screen Paul and it's gonna <laughs> let's clear this out clear my drawings there oh you're a pro Stuart. I'm a pro so intuitive um, okay. So that's it. So you buy a microphone, you may or may not buy an audio box or a recorder. 
this uh, this thing, if you're watching the video, is called a pop filter. That's that sort of screen that you see when people are recording in a in a booth. It it kind of for the loud like p noises, it kind of blocks that puff of air that comes out. What's that called, Paul? A plosive? Is that a plosive? Yeah, I think I can't I remember how it's different from a tussive, but I think you're right. I think plosive. Okay. So I would recommend one of those. It's it. They're only like five bucks or something. They're not. They're not too expensive. You're not going to break the bank. And then some over-the-ear headphones, which like right now I'm monitoring how loud my voice sounds on the microphone and using these monitoring headphones. They're they can run you anywhere from like twenty to fifty bucks. You can definitely spend more if you want to. Right. I do want to emphasize the importance of those because when you're recording. If you have something coming through your computer's speaker, any speaker that then gets picked up by your microphone and starts feeding back and sounds echoey and awful. So in addition to being able to monitor your own levels, you avoid Paul, the Iron- feedback loop. Okay. So so let's yes. take it from headphones. Right. So I just wanted to emphasize the point, and ironically, we just had some sound issues, um, that headphones, in addition to helping you monitor your own levels, also are really, really important when you record because if you try to use your computer's speaker for audio, as you're recording, it can then feed back into the microphone and cause echo and noise and just sound going to sound awful. So you'll also want the headphones just to cancel out extraneous noises as you're recording. Right. And I, uh, I, I added a separate microphone here because we're trying to do the audio and video recording, and uh, it did it. It wasn't working out with the single microphone setup. That may have been the I, my, the audio technical problems might have been my fault. So even after all this time, Paul, I I still keep <laughs> finding new ways to mess up. Uh, mess up the recording. Okay, but let's. This is going to be uh, a shorter episode, so let's let's move on. As far as recorders go, um, not sorry, not recorders. As far as recording yourself goes, uh, there are some programs. The two most basic ones that I would recommend people start off with are Audacity, which is a program for both Windows or Mac. It lets you both record yourself and edit yourself. The other one is GarageBand, which is for Mac users, and that one lets you both record. uh, You can record directly into it with a USB mic, and you can also perform the editing within there. And it actually lets you um, add tracks tracks and uh, and edit them. And so uh, I have a screenshot here, and I'll, I'll circle it. So you can see here there are... Uh, two audio tracks there. Uh, actually, one is a voice track that says Watto. The other one is in is a music track. And so, within the within the program, you can just add the tracks and you can make cuts. You can drag them around. You can you can stagger things. You can add in music. And this is this is what the software allows you to do. So first, you'll you'll record just the audio, and then you can add in all these other things after the fact. And I recommend with starting one, with one of the free softwares. And if you have the funds, um, probably if you're an attending, uh, you can probably afford to do so. And you can actually, um, you can probably find someone on a service like Fiverr or TaskRabbit that can actually do some editing for you. Um, but if if your podcast is going to be short, like 15 minutes or, or less or 30 minutes or less, and you don't really plan to have too many bells and whistles and it's just going to be for internal release, then you you could probably figure out most of the editing on your own. Uh, and we do have some videos that we link to later in the document that show you how to do how to do the editing. Paul, you haven't really 
delved into this too much, but did you have any, as far as recording yourself, is there any anything you wanted to let people know about Audacity, which is this program here at the top with the kind of purplish-blue waveform? Not really. I like Audacity a lot because there's not a whole lot to say about it. Like, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's really intuitive, and it's kind of hard to screw up for the most part. So I think it just is, you hit the record button, and then you're kind of off to the races as long as you have your computer, everything plugged in where it belongs. So I, I think that's probably the simplest one. Um, to start out with. In terms of the editing stuff, I, I am cheerfully and blissfully unaware of most of the details that go into that. And most of these programs, they uh, when you when you record an audio file, the non-compressed files are usually a .wav or a .aiff file, and they're very big files. And then you edit those, you, you can pull those tracks into an audio recording software, make your edits, and then you kind of export them or bounce them out of that program as an mp3 or .m4a track. Those are usually the the finished tracks that contain everybody's voice and any music, any other mixing and mastering that you've added to it. Uh, if you are going to go make be making a podcast, I usually recommend, um, especially if it's going to be something that, that you're trying to put out there on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, Spotify, et cetera, that you have a, a website. And uh, if, you're, if you're making something for your, your institution, probably they can help you make an internal web page. But if you need to purchase a domain name, that's I never had a cause to know what GoDaddy was until, uh, until I needed to purchase a domain name. But GoDaddy.com is a place where you can buy all sorts of different dom- domain names. And if someone already owns your domain name, you're probably going to have to pay a lot more money than if it's a domain name that is is not yet owned by anybody. And uh, I guess all I'll say about that is like when you're naming your podcast, you just want to pick a uh, a website name that's easy to remember and type in. Like you probably don't want to have like three underscores in your in your website name. <laughs> so you purchase a domain name and then uh, I'm not really going to go into this on this podcast because this is not how to create a website, but there's there are websites that some that require coding like WordPress and some that don't like Squarespace or Wix and you can you can look into that and decide if you want to want a website that's kind of out of the box or if you're going to make it yourself. When you are sending your podcast out there to the world, you you need this thing called a media host. The one that we use is called Libsyn, Liberated Syndication. It's it's one of the ones that's been around for a long time, and we've been very happy with their service, but there's a lot of other competitors out there now. And this basically is a place where you upload the finished audio files to, and then they make it very easy for you to send it to Google and Apple and Stitcher and Spotify and all the various services. Additionally, uh, they, they create what's called an RSS feed for people. And that's that. Some of these other websites, like podcast uh, podcatchers, like Overcast and things like that, will pick up the RSS feed, and and that RSS feed contains information about your show that you put in within your media host. So within Libsyn, we put in all all these things about our show and our logo and our website, and then that when we create a podcast episode and upload it, uh, Libsyn sends it out to all these places so that we don't have to manually do that ourselves. So when a, when a new episode of my favorite podcast that is almost certainly non-medical shows up on my iPhone, um, that is because they went through a media host that has it sort of set up that way. I just want to make sure I'm understanding correctly. Yes. The media host helped them create an RSS feed and, and distribute it. It's kind of a central location that you can use. You can individually 
try to go to all these different places, but there's so many of them. It's better to just go to a central place and then they send it out for you to, to all the places you want it to go. And then how do you make sure that it's people can find it? Because because there's one person, there's one podcast for every single person now and everyone has their own podcast. How do you make it sort of searchable and findable by the general public? Right. Well, that's that's why I think naming the podcast is important. I uh, Usually you get to, to name the podcast and then you get a subtitle for the podcast. So you can make sure that both the name and the subtitle have some keywords. And then the the mission statement we talked about earlier, that goes into the summary about our show. So if someone searches an internal medicine podcast, the Curbsiders comes up. And uh, it, these podcast episodes are actually search the way like the podcast um the podcast websites like apple spotify they are search engines so you you need to have keywords in the title so if some if you wanted to make a a show about uh alcohol use disorder make sure that's in your title so that if people are searching for shows about alcohol use disorder your show is going to come up and they'll be able to find it perfect the recording uh we do within the document we do have a bunch of stuff about how to set up your recording studio. Uh, I guess the the Cliff Notes version there is you want to record someplace that's got carpets and drapes and books and furniture and maybe drop ceilings. These are are things that can absorb sound and prevent echo. Echo is not your friend when you're recording audio. So what has a lot of echo? Rooms with hardwood floors, lots of windows, bare walls, no furniture, things are going to echo like crazy in there. So you need stuff that's going to dampen the sound. And you can see some pictures of my, what I like to call my podcast fort. Do you really have uh, the shower curtains up? Uh, those are those are actually uh, painter's drapes, uh-huh. are like painting tarps. And I do have those up. Yes, I do. Amazing. Great. Yeah. They're not up all the time. Like they kind of, you can slide them over. They're, sure. But, otherwise but it'd be I crazy. Do. Yeah. Otherwise it'd be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the kids, my kids do swing <laughs> on them like Tarzan, Paul. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. And I give, uh, within the document, uh, within the handout, I give a couple different ways that you can set up your your hardware. So I think that's going to be hard, too hard to conceptualize on the actual, um, on the actual audio po- version of the podcast. But if you're following along on video, I have uh, pictures with, that are kind of labeled with all the equipment so you can see where all the cords plug in and what everything is. But probably, Paul, you were telling me you thought the most useful thing to tell people about would be sort of like where we actually, um, how we actually do the the recording at the time of the recording. Right. As we meet more and more of our listeners, I think far and away, the thing that surprises people most is that we don't all record in the same location at the same time and that we are all sort of recording remotely. So I think just talking people through that process might be especially helpful if you can't be physically co-located with your co-host or, or your guests. Right. Yeah, so sometimes when we're at conferences, we're we're co-located, and that makes it easy in some sense, hard in other senses, because there's there's a lot of echo. If you're sitting next to somebody else that's recording with you, and you're not in an actual studio, you get a lot of echo between the microphones, uh, which which is is more for the uh, concern when you're editing. But the recording setup that that we use most commonly is where we have uh, the hosts. The co-hosts are all at their houses in their own home recording studio. We meet up with on either Skype or Zoom, or you can you could use Google Hangouts, and you would you would start to record yourself. I recommend Zoom because uh, it does have an, an an option to record for to record both the video and audio from the call, 
and it'll actually record all the participants on separate audio tracks, which makes it nice when you're going to edit things afterwards. So what essentially what you do is you have everybody's in their own location, and then everyone records themselves. Uh, I also record everybody within Zoom. That's really meant to be a backup, uh, and it also helps me kind of line things up after the fact, but uh, that's really meant to be a backup. The audio that everyone records by themselves in theory should be the best because it's not going over an internet connection. Sometimes going over an internet connection, you get some words that sort of drop out, and uh, that doesn't sound great on the final recording. So usually at the end, I have a couple different versions of a track from somebody. I have the version that I pulled that I kind of copied on my end within the my the software that I use to record. There's a software for Skype, a uh, third-party software you can get for Skype called Ecamm that will record anyone that you're talking to. And then, um, or in Zoom, Zoom records everybody. So I, I just go with whatever track sounds better, either the one that the person sent me that they recorded or the one that I recorded on my end. Merge them all together. And then uh, you you send them out, and it sounds like everybody was in the same room together. So just that I'm understanding, when we're all done here, you'll have two tracks that are done locally, the one I record on my computer, the one you record on yours, but then also two separate tracks that have been recorded through Zoom. Um, yeah. It's also recording at the time of this recording, right? Yes. Gotcha. And okay. Zoom will actually also give a master track with both of us on it, and... So it, it gives it kind of gives you that master track with everybody on it is a good way to line up all the tracks because uh, Paul and I probably started and stopped our tracks, our local tracks at different times. So they're not going to be in perfect sync. So that's why actually before we started recording, Paul and I, we do a hand clap. So that way we, on my track and Paul's track, I find out where we both clapped and that's roughly where I should put those two parts right next to each other. And then the rest of the conversation should line up as well. So that's that's another tip for you. The I think I think Paul as far as the other recording setup uh sometimes if you have if you have two people in one location and you're and you're talking to a remo- a remote guest uh that's that's another thing that we had done for a while there was a while where Stuart was living in the same neighborhood as me and he would record at my house and then we would talk to Paul who was in Philadelphia plus a guest who was somewhere else. So you can have various combinations of this, but usually things sound best if you have everybody record a local copy of themselves and then merge them. But there's all different ways to kind of do this together. Uh, When we're talking to our guests, I usually ask them to record themselves in QuickTime if they're on a Mac or voice recorder if they're on Windows because both those programs are automatically loaded on Windows and Mac and when you open QuickTime, you just click File, New Recording, and hit the Record button. And with Voice Recorder, you just search for it in Windows and open it and click <laughs> right. Record. Because no one's so, ever actually used it before, and no one knows where it is in their computer. So invariably, you have to search yeah. for it first. But those those work well. Okay. And then the final part of this, uh, we have some tutorials that we actually put out. Uh, at, we have a tutorial for GarageBand, um, how to both record and how to edit in GarageBand, and then a Uh, a tutorial for Audacity that tells you how to record yourself on Audacity. And if you have two people recording in the same location, how to split the track so that you have one track for each of the people. So those, I don't think we have time to talk through on this episode, but editing the podcast, uh, I would recommend if you have a Mac starting off, you could use GarageBand to do it. And then you can kind of upgrade to one of the 
more expensive programs like Logic Pro X is the sort of bells and whistles version of GarageBand. And that's what I use when I do editing because it has a lot of shortcuts and things that save, save time once you get the hang of the basic features of GarageBand. Paul, what, I know we only have a, a little bit of time left here. Is there any other stuff that you thought was really, really important about this? Um, gosh, I, I know you talk a little bit about search engine optimization, but I guess that's sort of more if you're, if you're working, if you're trying to put out an external podcast and not something specific to your institution, but do you want to talk a little bit about that? I could, I could. So it's search engine optimization. If you are trying to make a podcast that uh, you're going to be putting out into the world and you want people to find it outside of your own institution, search engine optimization is a way that you tag content, basically attach keywords to the, to the content, the way that you name your files, the way that you structure your web pages and it's it's so that it's it's able to be found in search and so that it ranks highly in search within Google. I I can't say that I'm an expert on this. There's there are literally marketers and search engine optimization pros out there that charge businesses thousands of dollars a month to to do this for them. It's a it's a valuable service. But <laughs> it feels I, like but a I scam. It, <laughs> I don't know if it's a scam, but it, it's definitely something that it's definitely something I think knowing the basics of it, if if you're using a WordPress website, and I'm not sure if this plugs into Squarespace or Wix as well, but there's there's a program called Yoast, Y-O-A-S-T. And that basically gives me a grade at the end of like when we put up when we make the web page for the show notes of each each week, that program Yoast gives us a grade and it says like either you did a great job or you didn't, and it'll give you some things you can change to boost your search engine optimization. But you just, you, I mean, you're you're spending all this time making content. You want people to be able to find it, right? And then I think the other pro tip that we we may have neglected to mention is talk to me a little bit about how you sort of process things at the end. So you've edited together all the tracks, and you have the final product. Yeah. Is there a way to make sure everything's all kind of at the same level and, and sounds as good as it possibly can? Yes, because uh, the microphones that we use are directional microphones, so they they try to only pick up sound right in front of them because. We're not in a professional studio, so if someone's stomping around above me, I don't want my mic to pick it up, and I don't want it to pick up every little noise in the room. And uh, But that also means that if I move my head one way or another, or if I'm not as cl- close to the mic, the sound, the sound volume will differ. And also, if you're talking to multiple co-hosts, everyone's going to have different sound settings. So this, there's a program called Auphonic, A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C, and that basically brings everyone's track up to the same level and even within your own track if there were certain times where you were not as loud as other times it'll kind of level things out so that the the audio is loud enough and kind of getting back to our initial main points the the first point we made on this podcast was having clear audio is very important and that that is one of the ways i think you can get clear audio is after after you edit the tracks I, I, I run each track that's been edited through this Auphonic program and then merge them into a final track at the end. But I, I always use that. Great. So this is used, just so I'm understanding, to level individual tracks before you then re-put them back together for the final product? Yes. Gotcha. And then the version, the version of the software that I have actually, uh, I feed in for, I can feed in as many tracks at a time as I want and then it'll send them out as one final track with just all the all the voices on it and they've all been merged together in one track and they've all been leveled out but it so that's that that is that requires a purchase to get that version but it's 
it's like 90 bucks or something. So it's, right. it was definitely worth the time. It, it definitely worth the amount of time that it saved me. So I think just to go back to, uh, f- for me, some of the take home points, make sure that, uh, make sure that you're practicing the audio, try, try recording the audio, um, and, and listen back to it and, and see if it sounds like something you would listen to, or if it just sounds like a, a bunch of echo or a bunch of computer fan noises. Uh, if that's the case, then try to troubleshoot things because I think your audience is, is really not going to put up with, they will put up, they don't, they don't need NPR quality audio, but they do, they do want to be able to understand what you're saying. And I'm sure you're going to be making great shows. So make sure that they can hear it and understand it. Uh, Paul, did you have any final things about this, how to create a podcast that you wanted to to say? No, it's I, I go forth podcast. I think one of the, the appealing things about it is the relatively low barrier to entry. And you really, a lot of the ways I know that Matt, you're obviously one of the main drivers behind this, but a lot of the stuff you taught yourself and there's, there's other than this excellent resource that we're just about to unleash upon you, there's lots of resources available online as to how to edit and how to record and what equipment to use. So just avail yourself of that because at the end of the day, it's not as complicated as you think. And so now you have no reason to not do it, I guess. Yeah. You just gotta, just gotta get out there. Uh, one of the other main tips, don't forget to press record and, and try to have, (laughs) try to have multiple backups because equipment will fail. You will have technical difficulties. And early on we had a lot of them and, uh, felt like quitting a lot of the time, but you'll get, you'll get through that. Um, I hope this helps you, uh, start to think about how you can move some of your content online in the midst of this pandemic that's happening. And uh, please check out our website. The the handout, uh, we've talked through it, kind of the Cliff Notes version, but there's there's lots of detail in there. And send me feedback and I can kind of add to it if there's a lot of follow-up questions about any specific portions. So best of luck to everybody. And I think that's all for now. This has been another episode of The Curbsiders, bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole. Yummy. Get your show notes at thecurbsiders.com forward slash podcast and sign up for our mailing list at thecurbsiders.com forward slash knowledge food to get our weekly show notes in your inbox. And we're committed to providing you with high value practice changing knowledge. But to do that, we need your feedback. So please send an email to thecurbsiders at gmail.com. A special thanks to Paul for joining me for this episode and to our social media team, Hannah R. Abrams on Twitter, Beth Garbs Garbatelli on Instagram, and Chris the Chew Manchu on Facebook. Until next time, I've been Dr. Matthew Frank Watto. And I'd, of course, like to thank Stuart for composing our amazing theme music, as well as to Claire Morgan of Nodley for doing heroic work editing our audio. And just as a reminder, I remain Dr. Paul Nelson-Williams. Thank you, and goodbye. All right. Goodbye. <laughs>